It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. I'm Andrew Hames, and this is Raven News. In April, the Planning Commission denied a permit application for Youth Advocates of Sitka, or YAS, to turn a duplex on Halibut Point Road into a residential shelter for teens and young adults experiencing homelessness and trafficking. YAS will appeal that decision at the Assembly meeting tonight. The Assembly would have considered the appeal at a meeting in May, but Municipal Attorney Brian Hansen asked that they hold off until he could get an outside legal opinion on the case. The facility, Coastal Haven, has $2 million in federal funding behind it through Senator Lisa Murkowski's office. The pilot program would house 12 teens and young adults, providing them with mental health services, wilderness therapy, and life skills training. In its appeal, YAS stresses how their project lines up with the goals of the city's comprehensive plan. They also argue that the decision to deny the permit is a violation of the Federal Fair Housing Act, which protects people from discrimination when renting or buying a home. A legal review from an Anchorage law firm found that in denying the permit for the HBR property, the Planning Commission hadn't presented enough evidence proving that the YAS proposal fell short of the code requirements and that it had incorrectly characterized dissent from neighbors as unanimous when the testimony from neighbors was mixed, both for and against the facility. The opinion also called the nature of the testimony into question. It found that neither YAS nor its opponents had presented enough evidence to prove or refute allegations that the facility would generate noise complaints, additional traffic, or other disturbances. And the opinion found that, as it stands, the Planning Commission's decision to deny the permit could be subject to scrutiny under the Fair Housing Act unless more evidence is provided that supports their decision under city code. Tonight, the Assembly will weigh the evidence presented to them during the appeal process before deciding whether to grant or deny the appeal or send it back to the Planning Commission. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. The Port of Seattle shut down its cargo operations Saturday due to labor conflicts, and the Port of Alaska says it could affect the state. About 90% of Alaska's goods arrive by ship or barge, and most of that comes via Seattle. Jim Jagger is a spokesperson for the Port of Alaska in Anchorage. Any impact on shipping out of Seattle, Tacoma area is going to have a, an impact on Alaska just because we're getting all of our goods there, or the vast majority. The details of the shutdown are unclear. The Pacific Maritime Association, which represents terminal operators, blames the labor union the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, for the shutdown. The labor union denies its worker strike is causing the port's closure. Jager says the extent of the impact on Alaska won't be known for a while, but he says it will likely be more of an inconvenience, like minor delays of goods getting onto shelves. Jager stresses that it's important for Alaskans to not panic shop, as some did buying products like toilet paper during the pandemic. As for the strike itself, He says there are different unions in Alaska, and it won't affect port workers here. Earlier this year, Governor Mike Dunleavy appointed Sitka Superior Court Judge Jude Pate to the Alaska Supreme Court. He's the first justice from Sitka to serve on the state's highest court, and the first to come directly from a rural community in decades. He was sworn in last week in Sitka. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The Alaska Native Brotherhood Hall was standing room only on June 9th for a special ceremony. 
In front of friends, family, a bevy of state troopers in the wings, and a string of justices and judges clad in black robes looking on from the stage behind him, Jude Pate took his oath of office, becoming the 27th Justice of the Alaska Supreme Court. I, Jude Pate, I, Jude Pate, do solemnly swear or affirm, do solemnly swear or affirm, that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States, that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States, and the Constitution of the State of Alaska. As he finished, the crowd roared paid on in the first of two spontaneous standing ovations he received during the ceremony. Over the last several decades, Pate served as counsel for the Sitka Tribe of Alaska, in private practice, as a public defender, and most recently, as Sitka's superior court judge. It was clear from the jubilant energy in the room that Pate had touched many corners of the community, said Chief Justice Peter Mawson. Which begs the question, why would someone who had such a great life in this, in this town, in this community, take a job that requires him to spend a lot of his work life in Juneau? But I have to think that Jude's commitment to public service and doing the most he can for his community, um, not just Sitka, but all of Alaska, has proven strong enough to compel him onto this next step. After Pate donned his own black robe and took his place among the justices, several community members spoke about his impact in Sitka and the bittersweet occasion. Tribal council member Yedikuk'ah Dion Brady-Howard said that Pate was the protege of her grandfather, the late William Brady, longtime tribal court judge. She said the community was parting with Pate with reluctance and relief. Relief because he is bringing that tribal perspective to someone who's worked not just for a tribe, but worked with a tribe. And in these times, that's a subject that, that is bound to continue to come up a lot. But at this point, the responsibility is completely on you and what you choose to do with this gift that, that we are so reluctant in giving you. And we hope that you will remain open to the perspectives that as someone who's worked so closely for us and with us, that you will listen with open ears and open hearts. Municipal attorney Brian Hansen came to know Pate best, not in the courtroom, but through music. For the last dozen years, Hansen has played tenor saxophone in Pate's band, Glorious Youth Parade. He said among the harmonicas, fiddles, and horns, he saw in Pate an amazing capacity for inclusion and open-mindedness. Well, I think that's what he's going to bring to this court. This passion, this open-mindedness, this inclusion for people. I think it translates in the thing he does with his music, and it'll translate into what he does for the court. So Jude, good luck to you. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. You broke up the band. <laughs> when it came time for Pate to speak, he spent over 10 minutes pointing out guests in the audience and thanking them individually. After the ceremony, the group migrated to a local pizza restaurant for food, drinks, and a glorious youth parade concert, a band that Chief Justice Mawson likened to the Beatles when he said he hoped Alaska's Supreme Court wouldn't be known as the Yoko Ono Court for stealing away Sitka's coolest judge slash rock star. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. 
A team of researchers have been combing the waters around Prince of Wales Island looking for evidence that could shed more light on how long indigenous people have lived on this land. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, an underwater robot powered by AI has a key role. After the discovery of an ancient fish trap last year, scientists were able to place indigenous people near Prince of Wales Island around 11,000 years ago. Now, more research is being done to see if they can push that time back even further. Kelly Monteleone is a lead researcher with the crew. And we're really hoping that we can find evidence going back, you know, thousands of, thousands of years more um, to get people on this continental shelf 16, maybe even 20,000 years ago. She explains that the people who lived along that shelf tens of thousands of years ago are likely ancestors to modern-day residents. We're hoping to find caves, and then we know that because of changing in sediments, we're not necessarily going to find things on the surface in caves. So we're trying to take a number of uh, sediment samples. The samples will then be searched for something called microdebitage. It's a big word for something that's actually really small. So every time somebody sharpens or uses a stone tool, little itsy-bitsy flakes uh, uh, come off, sometimes uh, you know, less than one millimeter in size. And we can find those uh, in the sediment samples if people were using uh, tools in the cave. The sediment will undergo a variety of tests. We're also going to be um, analyzing uh, the sediments for environmental factors. And so we'll radiocarbon date, and we're going to get pollen and something called uh, dinoflagellite cysts which are little microscopic organisms that tell us about the water column um, at the time the sedimentation happened. But there's one catch. The caves are now underwater. Monteleone says they would have been above water around 10,000 years ago when sea levels were about 165 meters lower than what they are now. So the team is using an underwater robot powered by AI called Sunfish. Christoph Richmond is the co-principal investigator involved on the robotic side of the project. He says the robot is going to explore areas that humans pointed out last year. Um, and it does very uh, precise mapping using sonar and cameras um, and can actually navigate into caves uh, autonomously. So it, it's able to explore really complex underwater features and map them out. Um, and so we're using that tool to uh, help us uh, really identify with precision what kind of um, features you know, we saw in this high-level overview. The team also held public events with the robot over the weekend in Craig and Cloak. This is just, for us, a real exciting uh, opportunity to demonstrate uh, AI and autonomous functions, uh, you know, to get to places where people can't and learn lots about um, our environment, where we come from, um, and, you know, get into uh, unexplored territory and just push the boundaries of uh, human knowledge. It will take another year or so to come through what the team finds, but they hope it will lead to even more research about the history of people living in southeast Alaska. In Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. I'm Andrew Hames, and this has been Raven News.